episode, I was a Christian in church. I became pregnant. Out of wedlock, I wasn't married. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I prayed about it. I sought the Lord for direction, and He led me to give the child up for adoption. It was difficult to think about going back to church and not feeling ashamed or uh, condemned. But when I did go to church, I didn't feel any condemnation or rejection from anyone. Um, They loved me. They were supporting me, uh, encouraging me. And uh, I thank God for the, the body of Christ, the believers that were there and supporting me. It just helped me to stay in the faith, just to stay uh, stay strong. My relationships in the church only grew stronger. My husband and I were married in the church. Uh, we raised our children there. We got involved and uh, were a part of different ministries. It just bonded our relationship with the body of Christ. I thank God for that because in 2011, I was uh, very ill and was hospitalized. I was in the hospital for two weeks. They were trying to find out what was wrong with me. During that time, I had so many visitors and there were flowers sent to me for encouragement and just to lift my spirits. And they just filled the room and people came and posted scriptures all over the wall in my room. My husband's particular in what he eats. Uh, He was given some gift cards to his favorite restaurant just so that he could be fed while in my absence. My kids were taken care of. Uh, They were in um, high school, and I just thank God for that. I don't know how we would have gone through that time. And then again in 2013, it was a little more serious. I was in the hospital again, and this time I had so many people come visit me, and they couldn't come see me, though. I was in an ICU room. They were made a giant circle in the waiting area and held hands and prayed for me. They brought meals when I got home, sent cards, sent pictures in um, uh, with well wishes. They covered my walls with them in, in the hospital room so that I could be encouraged by that and know that they were praying for me and lifting us up and supporting us. Then just last year, uh, we lost our daughter in a car accident. And... Um, the church was there for us in the middle of the night. We had people come and sit with us and hold our hands, cry with us, pray with us, listen to us, talk and just be there for us. They helped us move my daughter out of her apartment. They cleaned and just sent encouraging words and we were overwhelmed by the number of people who came the uh, the day of her service to show their support for us and love on us and just be there for us. My husband describes it as when Aaron and Joshua held up Moses' hands when he couldn't hold them up any longer. That's what the church uh, body is to us. That's what they have been to us through the years. And um, I don't know what we would have done without their deep and sincere love for us. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. What would we do without the body of Christ? What would we do without the local church to support us and encourage us? Because we all go through difficult times. We all go through trials and temptations and, and loss. It happens in every life. It's inevitable. And the body of Christ is designed to help us to make it in this world. It's not just salvation. That's great. It's wonderful. Forgiveness of sin. But then once we're saved, he wants to place us, every one of us, into a local body. And then plant us and allow us to grow and nourish and flourish and grow. And this morning's message, we're going to be sharing uh, a new series called God's Greater Story. So what does that mean? Well... 
And everything, there's a bigger story than what's really going on. And in everything that happens, there's more to it than what we see. And sometimes we have to go through something and then on the other side of it, then we look back and we say, oh, okay, God, that's what's going on. That's what you're doing. Because sometimes you're in the middle of a situation, it's hard to see. You know, when you're filled with pain, heartache, it's hard to see that. You know, and I, I want us to see that as we just prayed about 2018, I believe this is going to be an exciting year. If we were going to do, a, I guess you call it, what, a year in review? They always talk about the year in review. Just think back just for a moment. All the things God has done in your life. Think back. How faithful God has been in your life. In the church, it's been an exciting year. We traveled around the world. Mission trips, we've done lots and lots of outreaches and ministries to people here and in the United States and and here locally in Homa. It's been an exciting year. And, of course, uh, it was an exciting and, I guess, a momentous um, time when, in June, I shared with you my heart about my future. And as I shared that, for those of you who were here in that first Sunday in June, that after over a year praying, uh, testing my heart and checking and making sure, I, you know, I just... When God first said it to me, I I could hardly even believe it. But yet, after years, after almost a year of praying, I felt like the Lord said that He's going to reassign Vicki and I, and that we would be living, leaving Living Word Church. And I guess I, you know, and there's a part of me that thought I would, I would die here. (laughs) You know, I would just live here and die here. Uh, And yet, God was saying, "There's another story. There's a bigger picture." to what God wants to do in our life. And he was going to reassign us out to Texas in 2018. And I shared that with you. And I know for some of you that was a shock. Uh, Now you all know that at some point everybody steps down. You know that. Uh, I remember my wife and I went to a conference once and a, a guy named Bill Bright was on the stage and he was preaching and he was, he was in his later years and he was in a wheelchair, and he was hooked up to oxygen, and he was gasping for breath while trying to preach. And I looked over at my wife, and I said, sweetheart, do not let me do this. <laughs> so, you know, don't let me do this, you know. He needed to have stepped down years earlier before he's gasping for breath trying to preach. And yet... When at the same time the Lord told me I'd be reassigned, he spoke to my heart about Ben, uh, being the young man who would take the position to lead the church. And again, there's so much prayer, so much, uh, Lord, is this you? Is this what you're saying? I, I need to hear from you, Lord. And over and over, the Lord would say yes. It, it almost got to the point where God was, don't ask me again. I've already told you what I want you to do. You need to learn to do it. Uh, so we shared that back in June, and, and as we've continued to meet with Ben and, and met with uh, Ben and Estelle and Vicki and I several times, uh, just preparing their heart, trying to bring them to that point where I believe they're ready. And now here we are at 2018. So as we've gotten closer and closer, I've said, Lord, you need to kind of give me a little more direction here. You know, all I said was 2018. I need more specific direction. Uh, And uh, several weeks back, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, March the 4th would be the day that I would step down, which is pretty quick, two months. So the series that we begin this morning will be my last series. And I'm excited because what I feel like God is saying to us And this is something that I feel like God has said over and over since I made that announcement. And 
I feel like the Lord has said, my hand of blessing will be upon this church. That my hand of blessing would be upon Brother Ben and this church. And that I am encouraged because the direction of the church is not going to change. The vision and the heart of this church is not going to change. Ben's not some wild guy to come swinging in on a trapeze uh, and doing crazy. You're not, are you, Brother Ben? Uh, Crazy things. You know, he is much like I was as a young man. He has many of the same heart and the same convictions. And he will lead this church in the same direction. And the staff that God has assembled uh, will, is a great staff. Great, uh, you know, Brother Freddie is going to be vitally involved in helping Ben preach and, and, and share the word just like he has been working with us. So I, I am confident. Uh, and, you know, again, this is something I feel like the Lord has put on my heart that, you know, sometimes, well, what about this and what about that? Lord, every time the Lord just says, do not worry about that, my hand of blessing will be upon this church. He, he's the one who started this. And I want to say this, and I say this from my heart, that, first of all, Vicki and I love you very much. You're our family, to be honest with you. We are just your, our family. Uh, and all these years we've lived out here, you know, we really had no family except for when Deborah uh, was out here. And, of course, now she's out in Texas with her husband and her kids. But we are here for one reason, because God put us here. He called us here. He directed us here. And I believe we have completed and finished the work that he's placed ahead of us. And that... Um, As we leave, this is going to be a nice, strong, healthy church. Everything's paid for. We are blessed uh, and got a great staff. And so I'm excited about the future. future. Something uh, that Ben and I have agreed, and that is that God has positioned our church to do amazing things. He really has. He's positioned us to do great things. So, it's going to be an exciting series because what we're going to do, again, I'm going to preach, Ben's going to preach, uh, Pastor Freddie's going to preach in the series, and we're just going to be sharing stories from the Bible, from history, and try and glean from history and learn from those things, from the Word of God, things how God has a bigger story, a greater story than what's just going on. And I'm going to do that this morning. We're going to look at a portion of the Scripture, a historical part of of Israel's history. Because I'm a strong believer in learning from history. You know, if you don't learn from history, then you are destined to make the same mistakes over and over. You have to be able to learn from history. And I'm praying our nation could learn from our history. Because we're at war. We are at war in our country for the soul of America. We really are. And the devil is in a war against Christianity and against God and against God's children. I had someone once tell me when I was talking about how we're at war, I had that person said, well, you know, I don't like the idea of us being at war. And I said, well, that's tough. You're at war whether you like it or not. The enemy is at war against you. You better wake up and recognize that you are called to be a man and a woman of God who is also a warrior for Christ. You better learn how to fight in this war. Because there's a culture war going on. It's, a, it's not just a culture war. It's a, it's a war for the soul of America. And it's also a war for the freedoms of America. There are those who are working strategically to strip away the freedoms that we have as America, as Americans. And they hate Christians. That's just the way it is. We live in a culture that hates Christians and is growing more and more anti-Christian. 
And it is the forces of the enemy, Satan, prompting and working through those who listen to him that we're at war with. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. So I want to name the message today, men of war, men of war. And those of you who are ladies, you can be women of war. We're going to look through a portion of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's just a portion. And to me, God put things in there. And he wanted to see a bigger picture, a greater story. Because I think he's talking to the church. I believe he's talking to Living Word Church. Because there's a transition going on in Israel. There's been fighting and war and a lot of strife and tension going on for who was going to be king over Israel. And now it looks as though David is going to be king. And I want us to read, it's in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 through 38. I'm going to read that portion of Scripture. And I want us to see some things in there. We're going to draw or glean from that God's bigger story and how God has a bigger story for our church. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Of Zebulun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, expert in war with all the weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep ranks. Of Naphtali, 1,000 captains. With them, 37,000 with shield and spear. Verse 35, of the Danites who could keep, interesting, battle formation, 28,600. Of Asher who could go out to war, able to keep battle formation, 40,000. Of the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, from the other side of the Jordan, 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. All these men of war, who could keep ranks, came to Hebron, with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. Interesting. When they saw that army, and they weren't just a thrown together army. These were men of war. They were skilled men of war. It prompted the whole nation of Israel to say, I believe I want David as king. (laughs) They didn't want to come up against all of these men of war who were determined and who had a loyal heart to make David king. So I want us to glean from this. I want us to see what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And I believe he pins it down and speaks to us as living word, church. What can we glean from this? Very first thing I see, we must understand the times we live in. Look at verse 32 again. Of the sons of Iskar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel Ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and their brethren were at their command. It makes a point of saying they knew what day they lived in. They knew the culture they were living in. They understood the times they were living in. And as a result, they knew what they needed to do. As a church, we need to be understanding of the times we live in. We need to know what's going on in our culture. You know, there's one segment of the church that says, well, you know, we're just going to win the lost and, and we don't want to really talk about the culture. But, you know, we are here to be salt and light to a culture who does not know God. We are here to stand up for the truth and to say, this is the truth. Now, understand, when you live in a culture that is anti-Christian and they 
they come against and they speak evil of Christians and Christianity, what's the easy thing to do? Easy, yeah, just hide. Just don't say a word. Just just go back and say, oh, I'm not going to say a word. But you know, that's not the call of the day. He didn't call us and save us to go hide in a closet. He has plenty of secret agents for Jesus. He needs men and women of war. He needs a lot of people, God's people, who are willing to stand up and say, I am a Christian, and this is right, and this is wrong. It doesn't matter whether it's politically correct or not. I don't care whether you like it or not. It is the truth. I'm going to stand for the truth, and I refuse to be intimidated by the fact that you don't like it. So what? We need to be the church. Now, it's a two-pronged attack. We have to win the loss to Jesus. We are called to preach the gospel, to win the lost, to tell people about Jesus. But we are also here to stand for the truth. And this is what it means to be men and women who understand the times that we live in. Now, do we have an adversary? We do have an adversary. And the adversary, Satan, and all those who are willing to listen to him, they're out to do one thing, and that is to hinder your influence. God wants you to influence the culture. God wants you to influence others. He wants you to tell others about Jesus. He wants you to stand for the truth. Satan wants to hinder your influence. In whatever way possible, he can do that. And so, you have to be willing to say, I am going to listen to the Holy Spirit, have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, and be willing to stand for the truth. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the wonderful News that Jesus Christ has come to save you from your sins. But also, he is here to make a difference. And I want to encourage you, do not let the enemy intimidate you. You know, the enemy is all about intimidation. I never will forget, I experienced what intimidation was uh, in a physical sense. Y'all remember the story, Charlie Sanj, before he was a missionary uh, in Mexico, they went, uh, we sent him to Russia. And if you remember the story back in the 90s, uh, he got arrested for using dollars instead of rubles. Even though his landlord asked him for dollars, uh, he paid in dollars, and when he did, he was arrested. It was kind of a setup, we found out. Well, uh, Clyde and Teresa and Vicky and I, and I don't know, we had maybe, what, 10 or 15 more people. We went over there to encourage Charlotte. Just, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. We were doing everything we could on this side to have influence. We were getting judges and lawmakers to sign things to, you know, have them to release Charlie and, and not charge him and all that. Well, as soon as we got there, uh, they immediately let us know they were watching us took our passports, and, you know, and we, we could hear them listening in on the phone. They made sure they knew they were listening in to the phone. And then here we are, last day, we're scheduled to leave on the train at 6 o'clock. And early that morning, what do they do? They arrest me and Charlie. And they take us in to the KGB station, and they put Charlie and I in this little tiny room, and they have two guards in there with big machine guns. And all day long, they pepper me with questions about, how long have you been a spy for Living Word Church? (laughs) You came to subvert the nation of Russia. You came to promote overthrow of our government. I'm saying, are you kidding? You know, this is ridiculous. And After a while, it was obvious this was all about intimidation. This wasn't about the truth. 
They didn't care what the truth was. You know, this is funny. Charlie and Tina would do prayer walks. And so when they did prayer walks in that little city of Saranch, he drew out a map so he could do his prayer walk. Well, they confiscated that map and spread that map out on the desk and said, this is proof you are a spy. You're mapping our city for attack. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> it's a prayer walk. What's a prayer walk? Anyway, that's intimidation. That's the enemy. And I want to encourage you, do not give in to intimidation. Because you'll have friends. You'll have enemies who will do everything they can to intimidate you to get you to shut up. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the church. Stop talking about God. Stop talking about what God has done for you. And I want to encourage you, don't shut up. Keep talking. Keep speaking about Jesus. It's the reason we're here. Tell the world he is an amazing God who loves you. The second thing that I see here is we have to learn, we must learn to be experts in all the weapons of war. Look at verse 33 through 36. I know you probably caught this, but let's read it again. Verse 33 through 36. It says, Of Zebulun, who were 50,000, who went out to battle, expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep rank, Nathali, 1,000 captains, and with them 37,000 with shield and spear, of Danites who could keep battle formation, 28,600, and of Asher who could go out to war, able to keep battle formation, 40,000. So, able to be an expert with all the weapons of war. What does that say to us as Living Word Church? What's the bigger story, the greater story? The Bible says we have mighty weapons of our warfare who are, that are mighty. Let's look at that. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at it. God talks about our mighty weapons. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. Now here, follow this. God says you have mighty weapons, right? And the weapons you have are mighty through doing what? Pulling down strongholds, pulling down high imaginations, pulling down every lie that the enemy might give you. So that tells you right there, not only does it tell you what one of your powerful weapons are, but it also gives you a clue as to one of the ways the enemy wants to, to hinder you. It tells you that the enemy is going to use lies And thoughts in your mind to divert you and stop you. And we have been given a powerful weapon to grab a hold of those lies and pull them down. Those vain imaginations, you have to pull those things down. The enemy will put a lie in your heart. You're not going to make it. You're going to be sick and die. You're going to financially have a mess. You're never going to succeed. The enemy is always fishing, throwing out lies to see if you might bite on one of them. If you might pick up one of those lies he throws in your mind and see if you'll let that be nurtured and see if you'll take that lie and work with it and let it work in your heart. And I want to encourage you, you have a responsibility to pull those lies down. So when those lies come into your mind, what do you need to do? You need to say, in the name of Jesus, I reject that lie. The enemy says, you're always going to be under the power of this habit. You're always going to be under drugs and alcohol. You're always going to be under this this, uh, addiction. I want to say, you pull that lie down and say, in the name of Jesus, I am not. That is a lie. You reject that lie. You acknowledge that lie for what it is, and you say, Satan, you are a liar. Devil, that is a lie. That The enemy will lie about your kids. 
The enemy will tell you about your kids and all the bad things that are going to happen. He'll tell you all the things that are going to happen financially bad. He'll tell you, and I want to say, you have to reject the lies. You have a responsibility. It is a mighty weapon. God says this is a powerful, mighty weapon of our warfare, and it pulls down those lies. That tells you right there the enemy is going to put a lot of lies in your mind. Another powerful weapon, and you probably saw this in your handout, and that is, this is a prayer focus. There are 21 things that we're calling a prayer focus. And if you'll notice, the first three are bracketed to say, pray for this week. So during this series, the seven-part series, we're taking three of these and we're asking each of the body of Christ to pray about those three areas this week. And next week, we're going to take the next three areas, and we're going to encourage you to be praying for those. I want to tell you, corporate prayer is powerful. When the whole body is praying in one area, in a one accord, a one heart, about one area, the enemy has no ability to stop it. You are, the church is unstoppable. The church is, is unable to be stopped or slowed down if you are willing to pray corporately. And so I want to encourage you, during this, especially during this time of transition, pull down the lies that the enemy might say. Maybe somebody will speak a lie. Oh, man, that church is really going to do bad. That's a lie. Well, you don't have to call him a liar, but just say, I believe our church is going to do well. God's hand of blessings is going to be upon our church. We are going to do well because it's not based on a person. It's based upon the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not, it's not me. It's not Ben. It's not Pastor Freddie. It's not Vern. It's not me. It's Jesus We have all tried to focus on Jesus and be kingdom-minded and what's good for the kingdom of God. You know, we do a lot of outreaches in our city, and we do outreaches everywhere. And my heart has always been this way. If we do an outreach and people come to Jesus or they're encouraged, and if they go to another church then the kingdom of God is increased and helped. Hallelujah. It's not like you do an outreach so they can come to our church. It's not about that. It's so that the kingdom of God will be exalted. We go to Africa and we do a pastor's conference, a marriage conference over there. Every other year we have for the last seven years. Those people are not going to come to church here. But the kingdom of God is strengthened. Marriages are strengthened. And that strengthens the body of Christ worldwide. And that's a good thing. And if we will be busy about the kingdom of God, whether it has anything to do with our church or not, is not the issue. The issue is His kingdom. And if we all have that heart and that mind, God can bless that. God will bless the church that is kingdom-minded. I believe that firmly with all of my heart. You know, back even when we started the lighthouse and we built the lighthouse, you know, we built the lighthouse while we were saving money for this building. And someone once said, why in the world are you building a youth center over there when you should be putting all that money here for this building? And I said, because our young people are important. They're the future of the church. We have to invest in the future of our church. And they're important. And it has been an important part. You know, a lot of the kids that come to the lighthouse on Wednesday night don't come to our church. And for me, that's great. If we help other churches by being a blessing to them, praise God. Because it's not about our church. It's about the kingdom. Same thing for a home of Christian school. We have a lot, of, what would you say, Jimmy, have 50%, 40% don't come to our church or about 50% don't come to our church. I say hallelujah. When we created the school, 
Part of the mission was to be a blessing to the body of Christ in Homa. Not just to bless us. Not just to build up our church. But to bless the kingdom of God. And if you'll do that, God's hand of blessing will be upon you. So, we have to understand that about the body of Christ. The third thing I see, and that is we have to be able to, and you saw this phrase, keep rank and keep battle formation. Keep rank and keep battle formation. What does that mean? Well, the keep rank is, one way to say that is you understand who's in charge. Who is in charge? Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the head of the church. And you have authority in the church. You have a, a pastor. You have staff who works that. You, but you have authority all through the church. Not just the, sta- not just the pastoral staff. All through the staff. And under, able to understand that choices are made in all the church. And accepting that and going along with that and not getting offended. Smile at me. No, your child doesn't get picked for something. Heavens, oh my goodness. Your child doesn't get picked for cheerleader or for this or for that. Or this, or you, Brother Matt makes the decision for who's going to do something and it's not your child. Or Brother Freddie makes a choice and, and you don't like that choice. Or, you know, choices have to be made all the time. But being able to keep rank is just the ability to know who's in charge and to honor authority and to have a good heart even if it doesn't go your way. You know, sometimes in life we don't get promoted like we thought we should have been promoted. And when you have a good heart, God works through that situation and blesses you. And I just want to encourage you. And I'm going to say this. You, know, you can, you know, when I say this is my opinion, then that's kind of, you know, you can just take this or leave this. But to me, one of the greatest pitfalls, the greatest dangers the church of America faces is people getting offended and leaving church. Now, don't say that lightly, because there's a lot of dangers the church faces. The enemy does a lot of things to stop the church. But I just want to say this. The greatest danger the church in America faces is it is developing a culture. I call it a consumerism mentality. That they come to church, and if they don't get everything they want, the way they want, Then they leave and go somewhere else. It's the greatest danger the church faces. Because when that happens, when you get offended, things don't go your way, and you leave and go to another church, Satan laughs, and Satan's kingdom is strengthened, and the body of Christ is weakened. And I don't say that lightly, but it is the truth, I believe. And so I want to encourage you, When things don't go your way in this new transition, be kind, be gentle, be merciful, be forgiving, give grace and mercy, and just understand that things don't always go my way. That's just the reality of it. Y'all have figured that out, that things don't go your way all the time, huh? And I, I have to say this along with this, man, thank you for putting up with us for 38 and a half years. You know, we're looking at our calendar the other day. I kind of wanted to say this correctly. We came to Homa the very first time, February the 3rd, 1979. We spoke at Grace Christian Church. That's what it was over there on Coteau Road. Uh, no, excuse me, February 3rd, we spoke at the Full Gospel Businesses Meeting. That's a Saturday night. And then the Sunday morning, February the 4th, we spoke at Grace Christian Church. That was the first time we were introduced into uh, Homa, Louisiana. I didn't even know what that was. And when we left that day, 
And the only way you could leave out of Homa at that time was you had to go out 182, which is like the road heading to, to uh, Raceland. And I never will forget, we were driving down the road, and we were in a little Ford Fiesta, a little tiny pregnant roller skate type thing, <laughs> and little tiny car. And we were driving along, and on the side of the road were all these ugly trailers. They were half in water. Remember that? Such an ugly sight, you know. And, and we said, oh, that's so tacky, so ugly. Why don't they clean that up? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to be coming back here. Be careful what you say. <laughs> I looked over at Vicky and I said, Vicki, I feel like the Lord is saying we're going to come back here. And she said, I think that too. And I said, really? She said, yeah, I don't know what, but I, I have a strange feeling about Homa. Little did we know, that was 39 years ago. We had our first service, April 29th, 1979. That was the first service to come together and say, we're going to have a church. And here we are, 39 years later. But I never imagined that God would do all this. Never. God has done amazing things. And you have put up with a lot of mistakes. I did not know how to start a church. Matter of fact, I could write a book on how not to start a church. (laughs) Think of a lot of mistakes I made. You know, a lot of bad choices, things that I said that I shouldn't have said. And, you know, over the years, I've learned to keep my mouth shut. I really have. But that's only through trial and error. (laughs) I just say thank you for Vicki and I putting up with all the mistakes that we made over the years. But just understand, that's part of the body. You make mistakes in in your home, your family. But you forgive one another. And you let that go. And don't make the mistake of getting your feelings hurt, getting offended, and say, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else. It's not helpful for the body of Christ. The reason you should leave a church is because the Spirit of God moves you. You need to believe that God puts you here, and He's the only one who can move you. Not an offense. It's the Spirit of God. What is the world's battle formation? Why does it say they were able to keep battle formation? What is that talking about? It's interesting because it primarily talks about the, the, the ability Israel learned to yield, to use shields effectively. Okay, I'm going to ask my staff if they would come up. We're going to use an illust- have an illustration here. Uh, I'm going to ask all my staff. We have 10, counting me, and everyone, if you would, to grab a shield. We have some fine, solid brass. Not really. These are cardboard, I think. I don't know. But it'll look pretty good. Chuck, you did a great job. I don't know how you did this. But anyway, we've got shields. What they learned in battle, so we're all kind of everybody just pick a spot and, and understand that individually, if you use your shield... It is good for you, right? So you're able to defend yourself, but guess what? My head is unprotected if I'm, I can only protect one spot at a time. I can't protect my left side or my right side or above me. I can only really just protect myself. And that's the way shields are. But Israel learned something. They learned it from the Greeks that in battle... If you were able to get in a battle formation, so we're going to do this. We're going to get in a battle formation, and we're going to get close. But, yeah, there you go. We got four. Yeah, come in there. Here we go. And if you got in battle formation, okay, guys in the back, they're going to... Now, all of a sudden, we're in battle formation, and the enemy cannot get us 
He cannot get ahead of us. He can't get over us. And if the enemy shoots the fiery darts of the devil, that's me talking back there. If, and the enemy shoots the fiery darts of the devil, the devil cannot get in. Now, if somebody decides to get offended, <laughs> and gets out of sort, and walks off, what does it do? It leaves the enemy... Able to have all kind, he can hit me, he can hit Vern, he can hit Matt. The enemy can shoot the fiery darts so the arrows can come in. And then the body has to learn to adjust. So the idea, thank you guys. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Take my sword. When it says they were able to keep battle formation. The men of war learned how effective shields could be. Because the most effective enemy weapon was the arrow. And the reason being is that from a long distance, a hundred yards or more, you can aim the bow and you can shoot up and hit targets at a long distance and never have to fight a sword battle. So they would shoot the arrows, and if everybody's out doing their own thing, then they can just protect themselves. But the enemy is able to come in the side and above. What does this say to the body of Christ? Well, this tells us that as the body, we need to learn how to defend one another. We need to stand with one another. We need to defend one another. You need to not just be concerned about you, but concerned about the person on each side of you, the person behind you, the person ahead of you, that we would defend one another. We would be able to not only keep rank, not get offended, but we would be able to keep battle formation and say, devil, you are not going to win. Families, husband, wife, children, stay in battle formation. Don't be fighting and feuding among yourselves. Defend one another. Parents, support your kids. Kid, support your parents. Stay in battle formation. Do not let the enemy in. Because he is constantly going to be shooting fiery darts. The last thing I want us to see here. Number four. We must become kingdom minded to make Jesus king. Notice verse 38, 1 Chronicles 12. So all these men of war who could keep rank. They came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all of the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. If I read that correctly, because the men of war were all prepared to go to war to make David king, all of Israel had no problem (laughs) with David as king. We have a goal. We want to make Jesus king. We have a call to make Jesus king over the whole earth. We want to make Jesus king of our life. We want to make Jesus king of every person in Homa. We want to have Jesus to be the king of every person that we touch. Whether it's in Homa or Africa or Alabama or wherever it is. We want Jesus to be king over every heart. And if we would have a loyal heart, and we're able to keep rank, that's stay together, support one another, believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our church, I believe God's hand of anointing will be upon our church, and we will do well. Your family will be blessed. So this is what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like to ask you that if you would stand to your feet.
and you would agree with me in prayer that as a body we would make Jesus king of our heart and if he's not king of your heart if he's not the Lord of your life you need to make him Lord of your life during the prayer time I had a young lady brought another young lady and she just said I am born again but my friend here she wants to be born again and I explained it to her made sure she knew what I was talking about and she knew exactly because why because her friend had already told her about um, how amazing it was to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And she was able to ask Jesus to come into her heart. So if that hasn't happened, I want you to do that. But I would like to ask you, if you as a church would receive this transition, this new change that God has, and have a loyal heart to make Jesus king, Keep rank, keep battle formation, and learn the weapons of your warfare that are mighty through God through the pulling down of those strongholds, standing against every lie and pulling those lies down. Raise your hands with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the king of our life. Jesus, we decide today to make you king of our life and to do everything we can to make you king in every heart, every life. Help us, Lord, to stay together as a church, to be men and women of God, men of war, women of war, able to keep rank, Able to stay in battle formation. Use the weapons of our warfare to stand against the enemy. Thank you, Lord. You will help us. And your hand will be upon us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.